Sounds a lot like us as a, a, at Comma Zoe. Like you kind of step back and you're like, oh, we do all of these like awesome things, which are all interconnected. But you you don't see it until you kind of take that moment to like reflect because you're you're usually just like in it and just like ah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get you. <laughs> Comma Press is an independent publisher based in Manchester. They specialise in the short story and fiction in translation, with their publications spanning from Palestine to Shanghai. Tonight we sit down with Becca and Zoe from Comma Press to talk careers, Northern Pride and the power of fiction. Perhaps we could start off by you guys telling us your journey to Comma Press, how you ended up there. Sure. Um, I so I'm Becca. Um, I started off. Um, I guess it starts with me being at university. So I was doing my undergraduate degree at Lancaster University doing English Lit, um, and I was very lucky that Lancaster have a really great internship program um, where I think it's sponsored by Santander. So they do paid internships in the creative industries. Um, so after I graduated, I applied for a couple of those internships and luckily managed to get a couple. One of them was at um, a press in Lancaster called Carnegie. So I did a few weeks there and then I had a few weeks internship at Comma. Um, and then the story goes, I never left. Basically, I, I was an intern for I think it was three or four weeks. And then I, I was offered a temporary contract till the, I think Christmas that year. And as a graduate, I was like, yep. Yeah, I'll take anything I'm so excited to be here and then at Christmas my um contract got made permanent and then four and a half years later still here so that's my uh that's my journey what was it about Common Press that made you want to stay oh that's a really good question that no one's ever asked me before um (laughs) it was really great and it's something that I think other interns after me have found is that when you're an intern at Comma I feel like you you don't feel like an intern you're not you know making cups of tea and doing the filing it's um it's quite immersive if that's the right word I think you get given a lot of responsibility and you're working on a lot of different projects like for example when I was an intern I remember I was working on sort of editorial stuff like proofreading and um you know, helping to write a blurb, I think. And then I was also working on a like big research and development funding grant, which was like totally new to me, insane. I think we were like trying to get money to do some kind of like echo chamber political app at the time. Like this is four years ago when apps were like a, a bigger thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was really cool. And I thought, you know, when I was a an undergraduate, I was kind of like teaching or publishing, as you do when you're an English lit undergrad. And um, I, with the teaching, I was really like um, like interested in teaching, but I kind of thought doing the same curriculum and the same lessons over and over sounds like my idea of hell. And then when I got into publishing and realised it's this kind of like crazy, ever changing landscape and a, a comma, I could make the kind of role my own that's I think why I've why I've stuck on the good ship comma for four and a half years <laughs> that's amazing how, how about you Zoe um sorry I always forget how long Rebecca's been at comma and it's it's mad how long it is um, <laughs> um so for me I think um 
I so I also did an English lit degree but then I went on and did a master's in film because I was like really interested in film production and how films get made um but then when I did my master's in film I was kind of like it was great and it was a lot of fun but then I think I was kind of like I don't really see myself pursuing this industry or you know thriving in it it in the long term um so I just started looking for anything in the arts basically it wasn't like 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 Becca I wasn't kind of set on publishing and I wasn't kind of um really charging and you know thinking like oh I need to get into this industry but um I knew that I love books and I knew that I'd so I, I did like placements with film film companies and I did placements with art galleries and stuff like that and I think uh that kind of experience um you know lent me a lot in applications and stuff and then I think it was just really good timing when you know when when commas role came up because we don't have entry roles available a lot of the time do we at comma like um we were saying this just the other day it's not we're not we don't have much capacity for growth so I think it was just really lucky for me that I that I graduated at a time when they were hiring and mm. I, I fit the bill basically amazing so what so could you like maybe say a bit more about like your individual roles within comma yeah, so um, my job title is engagement manager, which is quite vague and is basically kind of a catch-all term because my job is quite sprawling. So I do a bit of sales, a bit of marketing, a bit of editorial, a bit of production. Uh, I manage our events, except for our conferences, which Zoe manages. Um, I've pitched rights at book fairs before, although that's not my favourite bit. Um, so, yeah, I do a bit of everything. But I, I would say the main focus is things like marketing and events, um, dealing with our authors and sales reps and distributors and printers and talking to people, which is what I enjoy doing. So, yeah. Um, and Zoe is our master publicist yeah so um I'm the publicist uh which means that I build our publicity campaigns for all our new titles um and I also as Becca was saying I run our outreach conferences because comma operates as kind of um a writer development agency as well as a publisher so we run um the national creative writing industry conference um which is like the biggest of its kind in the north of England um, and we also now run the publishing conference for aspiring publishers um, which yeah it is something that was I think happening a lot in London but not so much in the north um, until we kind of partnered with the BKS agency on our first one of those which was in 2019 um, and now that's all online um, and yeah so I've recently um, become the editorial assistant as well so I lead on uh, several editorial projects too um have co-edited co anthologies um as has becca as has everyone at comma because we're very much kind of everyone looking for that kind of thing and yeah i i love editorial so i'm glad to have that yeah actually what you said before about it kind of seeing potential in the north for um things that common press are doing now it leads me very well onto my question about like common press is is very proudly based in the north isn't it and you've got the the northern fiction alliance which is where Carmen and I found out about um comma press um and I just wondered like wh what is it about the north that makes it a good fit for comma press or why is common press needed in the north those questions make sense <laughs> yeah totally so yeah as you say comma's been best uh, been based in manchester since the start which was over uh, 10 years ago um and 
you know, all four and a, and a bit of us in the team are, are based in the North or from the North. Like, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm from the Northwest. Um, mm-hmm. So um, practically it helps that we're all based up here, but also um, I guess you, obviously you mentioned the Northern Fiction Alliance. Um, that's something that we started in 2016 and it it, it kind of snowballed really like I don't know if people really know the origins of it but it started off as a grant from the Arts Council for um, us to take four independent publishers to rights fairs which is um, if anyone doesn't know are these big trade fairs where all the publishers get together in a big exhibition centre and have meetings Um, so in this case it was London and Frankfurt which are the two main ones in in Europe so that was ourselves uh, and other stories Dead Ink and People Tree Press, who I'm sure people will have heard of if they're kind of monitoring uh, cool indie presses, uh, excluding us. Um, and yeah, so it started off as kind of an umbrella term for us to go to these rights fairs and kind of have a joint catalogue or a joint stand or just kind of have a bit of clout because these um, these, these trade fairs are quite dominated by bigger publishers. Um and it just kind of took off, really. I mean, th- there is a hell of a lot of enthusiasm out there for Northern publishing. And I don't know if it's um, people who've been forced out of the North because of the publishing being very, because of publishing being London centric, or if it's just that people think the North is cool because of things like Peaky Blinders make, like, well, like Peaky Blinders is Birmingham, it's hardly the North, but like, <laughs> you know, um, you know, Channel 4 moving to Leeds and the BBC moving to parts of their organisation to Manchester and this kind of Northern powerhouse feeling. I don't know if it was timing, um, but, you know, since then, because of the enthusiasm we've had from the public and also other publishers, it's just kind of grown into this this big thing. So from those four presses we had at the start, we, ha- we now have more than a dozen presses in the Alliance. Um, we've we've done workshops, we've done events, as you two mentioned. Uh, we've we've done these roadshows where we go around the UK um, to different bookshops, meeting members of the public and doing readings. We've done more book fairs. We published an open letter to the London-centric publishing industry, which you should check out if you haven't read. That's on the the Northern Fiction Alliance website. Mm-hmm. But but I guess the thing to say about the kind of northernness is that even though you know, we are all very proudly Northern and a lot of us do publish Northern voices. And I think that's important because there aren't enough Northern voices um, being published. We are also all very much international outward looking presses. You know, commas list is very diverse. We, we publish authors from around the globe and our authors have been published in countries across the world. And it's the same, you know, people tree focus on Caribbean literature and other stories have incredible translation uh, titles um, and is run by translators. Um, so even though, you know, we are blowing the trumpet of the North, we are also, um, that, that doesn't define us. I think we're no less international in scope than you know, a Hachette or a Hop Collins, um, for example. But I'm also going to shut up now and let Zoe talk. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you've, you've kind of covered it all. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I always think it's funny because Ra's actually not from, from the North, is he? <laughs> He's from the Peak District, which is, yeah. you know, okay, borderline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit like me. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, just, I mean, just to reiterate, like, I think it's just kind of, um, I remember reading um, our, M. M John Harrison's collection that we just published, and I hadn't actually read any of M. John's stuff before we put his selected works together. And I remember me and Becca talking about it and him describing the Northern landscape and me just kind of being like, 
why is this a shock to me? Like, why does this feel like new and fresh? And and it and it's just because it is. And like, you don't when you our default when we're reading is that you're in if you're in the UK, you're in London or you're in you're in the South. I think it is just defaulted that way, which you know I think <laughs> just needs improving upon. And I think um, and what you were saying, Becca, about being kind of international focus. I think that also comes with the territory of kind of. It's funny because it's kind of like on one hand we're so like you know burning with northern pride and whatever and and very much kind of like we need to be included in the rest of the UK and that's such a strength that we have but then I think looking internationally kind of comes with that because you've already opened your mind to outside of um the centrism of, of London in the UK you've already opened that door so to not open all the others is would be kind mm. of counterproductive. Mm. I do feel like the international and outward thinking way that you guys approach literature is very important and also very unique. Like I just remember when Meg and I went to the comic, like to the Comic Press Book Fair and Hyde Park Book Club, and there were all these books on Palestine. And like me being a Palestinian from Gaza, I never expected to walk into Hyde Park Book Club, and then like see my stories and like my people represented in that way. And I remember like I was just so gassed, like screaming to Meg about it. And then I like I was telling Jack like thank you so much for like you know bringing these people here. This is amazing. And I bought the book of Gaza and everything. But um, obviously, like it, it seems like such an amazing atmosphere, not just to work in, but also to be able to contribute towards, like at Comic Press. How do you think that this has kind of impacted you as individuals, if at all? Oh, that's a good question. Zoe's gonna answer first, though. <laughs> <laughs> nice question. Um, yeah, I think. Um, it's hmm, I'm gonna think about it <laughs> I mean it's opened I think it's opened up um the things that I consume for sure like you know I think before working at comma um I wouldn't have known where to look for the kind of narratives that we produce um like we just say in karma like all, all our Palestinian narratives and stuff I I didn't have you know the stuff that I have an understanding of now that I didn't have before um working very closely on these on these anthologies um with Palestine plus 100 I um I I had no understanding of the Nakba I hadn't had I you know I had never read up on that before and then working so closely with the editor on, on her introduction for that like um it was just kind of you know there's 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 no way that to kind of escape these truths that have kind of passed passed me by anyway in my life just because just because of being like a, a privileged person in the UK who wasn't taught these things or shown these things um so yeah to just the stories that I kind of hear on a, on a daily basis and you know at the moment like I'm working on our next um refugee tales collection right now um which is kind of retellings of people who have been detained in the UK and also elsewhere um and yeah it's just kind of you know first first hand being exposed to these stories and the stories that you hear in the news but you don't necessarily get a personal spin on or you can't necessarily connect them to your life but then as soon as I'm working on these things I'm like oh you know this is this is what's happening and this is how it's directly affecting everybody and it's yeah it's it, it's, it's it is powerful and it's powerful to be around that every day I think yeah same here I mean like I obviously did an English lit 
undergrad but I did a lot of very like canonical literature so like British gothic and classic American literature and romanticism which is obviously all very white um very quite male dominated um I did a bit of short fiction but it was mainly like American authors like Raymond Carver and um Hemingway and stuff you know I'd never read Palestinian fiction Iraqi fiction um and I I remember I, I edited my first collection for Comma about a year after I joined the company and it was a collection of Georgian short stories in translation and I remember thinking like I would never have read any Georgian literature had I not come to this company and not because I was um well hopefully not because I was ignorant but just because like I think you forget how much amazing literature is out there and I think it's underserved kind of in a retail aspect like you, you don't walk into Waterstones and immediately on the front table it's like oh look Latvian short stories like that's not a thing in the UK um and the same with Palestinian fiction and and, and like Zoe says I've learned so much my my eyes have been opened politically and socially as someone who grew up in quite a small backwards village in the northwest and you know I've moved to Manchester which is an incredibly vibrant cultural center full of you know fantastic people and uh, I absolutely love my team members Zoe um Sarah Ra they're all brilliant um brilliant people to work with and yeah I would definitely be a very different person if I didn't work at Comra I think and I would read very different books and probably not as good uh not as um broadening books I imagine yeah the power of literature exactly <laughs> on, on your website you said that um you focus on the short story um in an attempt to democratize literature and I'd love to hear about what you both think about the role of the short story in like you say I guess exposing narratives that we may not in you know the UK as privileged people usually have access to um so the way Ra pitches it um, which kind of which I think kind of summarizes it um, brilliantly. So we don't need to like change it or anything. Um, I think the way that he explains it is that the short story kind of um, can because it's so compact and because it's so um, what's the word adaptable, adaptable, transportable. Um, it kind of enables you to traverse languages. Um, obviously, that's what we do with with our translation. Um, you know it crosses borders you know it's it's they're they're more kind of easy to pick up and dip in and out of um and kind of experiment with new ideas and you know because it's like if you walked into a shop and you were like I know nothing about Palestine or you know I know nothing about Latvian literature and there was a huge novel by a Latvian author that had just been translated or there was a huge novel about Palestine and the Nakba then you might be a bit like well where would I start with that like I've got you know where do I connect with that but mm. with short stories I think it kind of enables you to dip your toe in a little bit and be like okay um and and, and yeah and um I think as well like because of the way that they're formed they create these liminal spaces um that allow for exploration and allow for kind of headspace and yeah having taking these new ideas and kind of finding where they fit in with within your frame of reference if that makes sense mm. yeah, yeah I was, plus, sorry. sorry I was just gonna say um the way I always explain it to people because often p 
people will say to me like so you just publish short stories that's a bit weird or that's a bit niche and I'll be like well it's not it's just that the industry's kind of sidelined it as a form as niche or a bit weird or like unpopular and I don't think it is and I think over the past few years it, it has every so often it has a bit of like a renaissance or like a resurgence and um the way I always explain it is like for example if you take one of our city books there's 10 authors there's usually at least half a dozen translators as well as being a publisher we also act, act as a writer development kind of uh, organization and so what better way to give writers and translators that like platform than having like multiple platforms like Zoe says you could pick up a novel but that's got one or from one translator and it will probably be brilliant but he's only offering you one viewpoint of that city or that topic or that uh, culture and you know um, I think it's really important it's, it's part of how we kind of discover new voices to, to develop um as well and i think with short stories you're kind of um rebutting against that kind of like histories written by the winners or histories written by the great men which it isn't and shouldn't be <laughs> hopefully but anyway sorry i interrupted oh no i was just gonna say something about I, I think when I was younger, particularly, I'd read like, for example, like a, I don't know, a, a piece of fiction set in Australia or something. And I'd feel like I had a real sense of the culture of that place, but then also like, oh, but it's fiction. So surely this can't be kind of an accurate representation of the culture. When actually, of course it is, like you're reading a book from that place. Australia is not <laughs> the most exotic <laughs> example I could give it. But yeah, no, I, I, love, I love the sense of, you know, being almost you know gifted this short story that's from a different place and you can get a sense of mm -hmm. of it um could you tell us a bit more about the kind of the part of comma that is for supporting the writers and how that because you kind of just touched upon this but how that supports your publishing um the publishing aspect of, of comma press as well um, yeah, so I guess um, in terms of our publishing, so we will do multiple author anthologies, whether that's in translation or not, and we'll often find authors through that commissioning who we want to work with on another story or work with towards single author collections. So you'll notice a lot of our single author collections, if you kind of look at their bio, they've featured in multiple comma anthologies and we've kind of worked with them on their writing over time we're not really a press that kind of just signs an author for like a collection straight away we really like to get to know them and on like a personal level I think that's one of the great things about being an indie is having that direct relationship with the author um where at whatever stage of their career they're at um but also we we run as Zoe said we run these conferences so we have a writers conference every November uh, we run short story courses online and in person once COVID is over um, around England um, and we partner with various venues. We're going to be partnering with libraries to run them over the summer this year, which is going to be fantastic. Um, and I guess, I mean, it's been said before about indie presses that they're the kind of research and development for the bigger presses. I mean, you'll often see an author start off at an indie, have great success and then be kind of plucked by um, a larger press and that's not a bad thing like it's great for the author to go on to kind of get more recognition but 
like there's examples like Ben Myers, who was published by Blue Moose for three of his books, and then the Gallows Polk sort of blew up, and then he went to Bloomsbury and has you know had amazing success ever since. But um, but yeah, I think I think a big part of being an indie press is nurturing that new talent and publishing that new talent alongside the kind of already established authors like M. John Harrison that Zoe mentioned before you know he he loves indies and wanted to be published by an indie and sought us out which was a massive compliment to like what we do so you know I think we we really love working with authors like super long term I know Zoe's working on a collection at the moment with an author called Sarah Schofield who we've published I think for seven or eight years and we've only just got around to doing a single author collection with but that's going to come out later this year and we're really excited about that and Zoe can tell you more <laughs> Yeah, no, super exciting. Um, uh, I was also going to mention the fact that um, we, well, Becca founded the Janesh Ali Rajar Prize for Short Fiction, which has just run its fourth year. Um, and through that, that's that's kind of an open call for anyone's short fiction. It's not, you don't have to pay to enter. It's, you know, it's very like open to anybody. Um, and I think past winners from that have been publishing our anthologies, right? So I think um one of them was published in resist yeah we've had them published in anthologies and also with our courses we publish an ebook of all the work produced on the course as well and often it's the first time any of what some of the people on the course have been published so it's kind of like giving writers a boost whether it's a prize or an ebook or a course or a conference um it's about like us being part of their journey i guess in a very like a la way <laughs> of using the word journey. <laughs> um, have you found that there's a real sense of community in that, like with, you know, new writers, established writers? What do you mean by community? Like, well, in terms of like how, how our writers kind of connect with each other, do you mean? Yeah, like, I don't like, do you, for example, like, if you have a writing workshop this year, and then next year, do you see like familiar faces? Is it that type of thing? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think we do have people who are kind of like, hardcore, um, comma fans who will, who, yeah, who you'll see turn up to kind of events again and again. And um, I don't know what the what the returns are like to the courses, Becca, because I think, they're, they're quite, they're location-based often, so um, mm. we'll a person anyway, it'll be in a certain city, so you'll get aspiring writers from from certain cities going to them. Um, but yeah, we do, we do have, I think Comma has quite a, a loyal following, um, and I think it's writers kind of appreciate one another for being in that space together, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. What do you think? Uh, yeah, just echoing what you said, we, we do get people who come back to the courses in person and I've found online over the course of COVID um, who always come to the events, who always come to the conferences, um, who, you know, they meet on our courses and then they form kind of like a peer group that goes on beyond the courses or, you know, I love when we have the conferences in person and it's like a lunchtime or a or a break time or something and you see the writers all kind of sat around in clusters, kind of like comparing notes or drafts or something. That's like one of my favourite things. It's like, we enabled this, yay! <laughs> you also have like comma film and stuff as well. There seem to be a lot of like proponents to comma press, which is really exciting. 
Like, could you tell us a bit more about comma film and how that fits in with everything else that you do as well? Yeah, so the kind of audio visual elements of comma kind of, they, they sort of reflect our passions as a team. So like comma film was something that Ra started because Ra's a massive film buff and loves making films and loves seeing our stories turned into film. Um, and I think it would be a, even bigger thing now if he had more time but he's usually got his head buried in uh, manuscripts doesn't he Zoe um in terms of like the audio stuff so like the podcast for example um that was just me being like I love podcasts why don't we have a podcast and then teaching myself to produce a podcast and then um doing all the branding and stuff and then and then putting it out into the world it's very much that's again linking back to what we said earlier it's it's that thing of kind of working at an indie and making the role your own and saying i have this mad idea why don't we do this and um then and uh, you know the the publisher being like yeah you can do that as long as it doesn't cost me you know x million pounds which it never does because it's an <laughs> indie press but yeah they all they all feed into the kind of um our output you know we love having resources for for writers as we were just saying you know you, you'll see on our website and on our youtube channel and on our instagram we've got all sorts of uh, recordings of stories recordings of master classes recordings of events you know podcast films um to, uh, a few of our stories have been been turned into films so david constantine's in another country was turned into 45 years which was oscar nominated starring Charlotte Rampling and um, just a couple of years ago a story called Possum by Matthew Holness was turned into a film written and directed by Matthew Holness who is um, from Garth Marenghi's uh, Dark Place and all of that so I mean going back to what we were saying about the short story being perfectly adaptable short stories make great films and you know it's it's quite it's a bit easier for a film producer to read a short story and and think about how that could be turned into a a longer narrative than you know sending them a big chunky novel being like adapt this <laughs> yeah. was it nice for you Zoe to have your kind of film background involved in it as well yeah I mean I remember when I when I started at comma so I think comma film's been a bit it's been sleepy for the past like few years I don't think we've made a film for I'd, well I don't know have, have we made a film since you've been there Becca no I think I think comma film I think yeah Ra probably just ran out of time and it's not it's never been reborn but I think it's something we'd like to bring back from the dead I think um I think that'd be yeah it'd, it'd be fun I'd love to kind of um like adapt kind of poems or short stories as short films again mm -hmm. but yeah it's not something that we've worked on so far um but yeah it's a capacity thing like there's there's four of us you know we need one person just to run comma film never mind yeah <laughs> but it does seem like an amazing environment where it's just kind of like all hands on deck and it's like okay like you are welcome to bring whatever you want to the table and you know we'll make it happen yeah, yeah i was gonna um, say earlier sorry off off, off no, no, continue. like continue <laughs> about like how it's kind of changed you as a person going forward I always wonder like because this was my first like job out of uni um how I would be as a person in kind of a bigger company where people uh, where there's a hierarchy and people are kind of thinking well when am I going to get promoted or like you know how much money am I going to get for this or blah 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 there's just none of that working at Comma it's very much like we're all on equal playing fields and we're doing it because we love to be there and because we love what this company does it's not like 
that that's why we're there it's not like we're, we're looking we're not looking to grow and or to like you know take over the business or whatever which is really interesting I think mm. I'm not gonna lie it's just so inspiring because I feel like so much of what you're saying it's kind of like the vision that Meg and I have for the collective and where it's just like you know like, you contribute <laughs> It's so nice seeing how excited and passionate you are, particularly when you're talking about translation. Mm-hmm. Like you guys are just both like, ah, this is an amazing thing that we're doing. And that's <laughs> so nice to hear. And also to know that something like this is possible, you know, like it can yeah. exist. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of work in terms of keeping our funding up, isn't it? I think we tend to, well, Ra specifically tends to panic um, and a lot of his time goes into kind of making sure that our business plans are are up to date and and ready and are going to sustain us for the next few years to come um but that comes with the territory I think if you're prepared to put your energy into that and you have a strong team like we do um who are going to help along the way then yeah I mean you just need to be be prepared to take on a lot of admin alongside all the stuff that you love but like Mm. I do have another question that I would like to ask. Cool. Um, it's kind of like going back to the translation section. Because um, uh, you kind of focus on uh, publishing writers from the Middle East and Europe. And I was just wondering why specifically you've chosen those regions and what that brings to comma. Um, do you want me to talk, Zoe? Um, yeah, please, because I don't actually specifically know what drew Ra to the Middle East <laughs> in particular. <laughs> um, I don't actually know either. I know like our kind of Arabic imprint, as it's informally known, kind of began in 2008, 2009. So fairly quickly after Comma was kind of um, established. Um, but I mean, since then, it's been a mixture of things, really. We, we actually survey our readers on quite a regular basis because we're Arts Council funded. We we kind of have um, an obligation to do so, but I think it's actually really nice to do it as well because, like, for example, we'll say, what city do you want us to do next in the city series? Do you want more sci-fi? Do you want more Middle Eastern fiction? Um, and we kind of build from our base rather than you know, just kind of following whims and trends, which I think is is really great. But then I think it's partly to do with, again, what we're interested in. So, you know, Ra will genuinely come to us as a team and say, right, who wants to work on what? Does anyone have any editorial ideas or projects or territories that they're interested in? Um, and then it's also, as it is with many indie presses, uh, based on funding. So where can we get funding from? for translation projects. So a lot of our funding comes from English Pen and their translation program, um, but also it can be kind of done on a project by project basis. So for example, when we did Iraq Plus 100 a few years ago, that was funded by the British Institute for the Study of Iraq. Um, For example, I'm working on a book of Reykjavik at the moment that's been funded by the Icelandic Literature Centre. So it's dictated by a few different things. I think, partly passion, partly funding, partly our readers, and then also partly like where we have contacts. You know, we, we, we were asked this the other day, actually, Zoe and I, um, like, why don't we have more books from Africa? Why don't we have more books from South America? And I kind of said, like, it's not that we don't want to do books from those territories. That would be amazing. It's just that because of the way we've published up to this point, we've kind of built 
our kind of contacts up in Europe and in the Middle East um, and North America to an extent. So, so that's kind of where our focus is at the moment because we, ha- we can rely on editors and translators in those territories who are experts because none of us in the comma team claim to be experts on any of these areas of literature. You know, we're all, at the end of the day, white and British um, and don't speak other languages apart from Sarah who speaks French. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we would never kind of presume to know what is happening in those literary cultures or scenes and by relying on editors like uh, Raf Cormac, Aaron Arbacinner, um Max Schmuckler, um, uh, I'm trying to think who else um, we've worked with. But yeah, also Casa Grande, who's our editor at large. Um, we rely on their expertise, I guess, to kind of dictate uh, what happens next, along with all the other factors that I've just mentioned, obviously. Mm-hmm. I do find it amazing out. how like interactive Comma Press as a publishing house, like, the, like the writing workshops that you host and the the writing development like format that you choose but also the fact that you like you know you survey your readers and you take their opinion into account it's just you don't get that very often with publishing companies <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> I um I think it's it's really important and it's been a big passion of mine anyway um when I joined comma I think we had just under 10,000 Twitter followers and now we have 26 and a half thousand, I think. So it's more than doubled in the space of four years. Um, And I think that's been a big part of mine and Zoe's kind of engagement strategy is literally to engage our readers. You know, we, we poll them, we ask them to submit questions. um, We very much invite comments and, um, I love when people tag us on Instagram in their reviews, whether they're nice or not. Um, I love reading people's Goodreads reviews uh, (laughs) because at the end of the day, we're readers as well. And we want to know what people think of these books that we've put all of our blood, sweat, tears and passion into at the end of the day. I think people forget that. I think because we're not kind of a, a faceless corporation. Like we very much, especially Zoe and I put our faces out there like as part of the brand if i'm doing uh, air quotes people can't see because it's a podcast um, <laughs> brand because if you know comma isn't a brand at the end of the day i i like to think that everything that we do is quite organic you know we we don't have paid advertising um we can we sell our books through our website as well as other places as well but when you buy a book from our website the publisher Ra is literally putting it in an envelope and writing the address on the envelope himself and then walks to the post office and posts it himself you know this is this is the nature of an indie press and you know um there are other indies out there who are literally one man or one woman running the show and i think people forget that because they just see the kind of the logo and the books and they think like mm-hmm. it just it comes out of thin air sometimes and and it, and it's a lot of graft and a lot of um yeah blood sweat and tears <laughs> i love that absolutely at the core of comma press it seems like it's just about community and about hearing what people want having a core group of people who are interested in finding that out and also interested in reading and sharing stories. And it's just wonderful. And like, I mean, I know it's probably the nature of book fairs for people to be, you know, for booksellers to be super approachable and whatever, but I definitely felt like there was a real passion there. And we were, when we were perusing the comma, comma press um, shelf 
Um, no, it was, it was great. You could sense the energies and that's that's precisely the reason we wanted to chat to you guys as well because it just seemed like a really great thing that you do. Yeah, I love doing book fairs. I, I, book fairs are great because it lets me live out my fantasy of being a bookseller. Like, I, <laughs> you don't know how many times I applied to be a bookseller at Waterstones in Preston and I never got an interview <laughs> and I'm still bitter about it. If anyone's listening to this podcast and works at Waterstones in Preston, you, you missed out, guys. But, you um, missed out. <laughs> you missed out. But it, it's great because, you know, really enthusiastic, lovely people like you two come up to us and ask us questions and they'll say, oh, what would you recommend if I like this or or, you know, I need to get a gift for my friend or my mom. What would you recommend? And I absolutely like adore doing that. But also, it's also just nice to put faces to names. You know, sometimes people will come over and be like, oh, my Twitter handle is this. And I'll be like, ah, it's like you're a friend from like long ago <laughs> and we've been reunited. Um, Zoe and I love doing book fairs together because it's such a laugh. And especially with the other indies as well, because we all end up going around each other's tables and spending our money on each other's books and then being like, <laughs> duh, like, what have we done that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I got five home from the last one that we did at Anthony Burgess. <laughs> Gotta support each other. Yeah. <laughs> so like maybe to conclude, um, it would be nice to hear a recommendation from from you two or your favourite publication that Common Press have ever released. Yeah, when I was reading through the questions, I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> The killer I, question. Yeah, um, but I actually do think I said this when we published it, um, which, God, when was that? I think it was last year now, a year ago that we published the book of Shanghai. And that's my favourite city book of ours that I've read so far because the stories are just so, like, dreamy and so surreal, but also obviously grounded in this, like, mega city that I've always really wanted to go to. And like, there's a story in it about a man who dreams that he's floating in his bed along the river and misses this date that he's that he's arranged or something like that and I'm and then there's another one kind of about it's very much like grounded in like our internet era as well and like you feel that kind of emanating from this city where everyone's kind of like suffocating getting lost and disconnected everyone's really disconnected but squashed together and like yeah I just loved I loved those stories so much that'd be my rec I, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that was your favourite book. I really didn't think you were going to say that. Um, you're going to have to write that as an Instagram caption because that was beautiful. I was just like, I was just like, oh, that was such a lovely way of describing our book. Sorry. Um, what am I gonna, whatever I say now is going to be rubbish. Um, I, I'm going to say um, we published an anthology called protest stories of resistance a few years ago um and that book's really special to me partly because it really taps into what I'm interested in which is history British history protest movements especially in light of everything that's happening at the moment in politics with the kind of kill the bill movement and stuff but also that book was really special to me because of the kind of events that we did around it we did quite a few festivals over the last few years and events with that book and I remember in 2017, we did an event at Manchester Literature Festival in the Dance House Theatre. So I think we filled it 2,000 people. Uh, we got Maxine Peake to read Michelle Green's Suffragette story, uh, which is called 
there are five ways out of this room and it's about a suffragette who's in imprisoned and she's on hunger strike and they're force feeding her which actually happened to suffragettes um who were imprisoned and it's such a beautiful story michelle green's an incredible writer um and maxine peak is obviously an incredible orator and actress actor um and and yeah, it, I just remember being able to hear a pin drop in this room of two thousand people, and thinking like, this is a special moment. And if anyone wants to watch that, it's actually on our YouTube channel. We recorded it. Thank God, whoever remembered to record that event, thank you. Um, but um, yeah, that that's a really special book, and um, I really enjoy working on those anthologies that we do, where we have authors who we pair with historians or eyewitnesses or sociologists or crowd scientists because it brings out the inner history geek in me a bit um mm-hmm. and I like that you get the story and the context you know because it because you know a lot of the kind of events and, and things that we cover in those books people don't really know about the kind of forgotten gems of history and I think it's great to have the like brilliant story but then also here's what happened and why and how it's still really important today. So yeah, yeah, that's my pick, protest. I can't wait to research both of these. Um, (laughs) Yeah, definitely gonna get on YouTube as soon as this is over. (laughs) What do you Um, read usually? Pardon? What do you read usually? Um, I very slowly read the books we're reading for book club usually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My mum's a librarian, so I've really grown up for, around books, which is oh, amazing. Mm, and she, um, she's always got the best recommendations. But um, you should, I read a lot of zines actually. Um, I love just kind of being able to finish something in a sitting. I <laughs> think that really satisfies me. So short stories are something I'm definitely going to start reading more of for sure. Mm. Um, and I know where I'm going to go to purchase them. <laughs> <laughs> I've been really enjoying those kind of like micro novels that have been a thing like over the last couple of years. Like the ones that you get kind of in the really small format by the Tilling Waterstones, like the one Alif Shafak did. Yeah. Um, you know, like that you literally could probably read it in an afternoon and be like, oh, that was great. And then read the next yeah. one. <laughs> the dolphins are real when you finish yeah. a book. Yeah. I definitely throw all of my books over my shoulder when I've read them. <laughs> oh my god. Um I guess just on a final, final note, um, what would you guys say to aspiring writers who would want to get involved with Karma Press? Um I would say uh, <laughs> um, I would say look out for kind of our next um, iteration of the courses and how they develop because we've got plans haven't we to kind of uh, to grow those into smaller towns smaller cities um, and to also keep them online as well as in person so they'll remain accessible to people in that way which they weren't before the pandemic which is kind of a blessing to have made us recognize that we can do that and we can um, it can be a two a twofold thing um, and I would also say to um, submit to the prize when that runs. Um, so we don't actually work on a submissions basis, Comma doesn't, um, which I think shocks some people. I get We get a lot of questions, don't we, from people, you know, where should I send my, my stuff to? And we'd love to read it, but we just don't have... We don't have the time and the space to do things that way. So, but 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 keep engaging in, in the resources that we're putting out because we're putting it out that way because we can't do it the other way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add, Becca. 
Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I would 100% recommend signing up to our mailing list. The link is at the bottom left corner of our website. Uh, and it's also on our Facebook page. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a marketing person. I'm saying it because if you sign up to our mailing list, then you will never miss a course, an event, a prize, a conference. Um, you will. We also have a little section at the bottom of our newsletter that's like opportunities for writers, translators and publishers. So like competitions or like residencies or, you know, all the fun stuff. So our mailing list is 100% the place you have to go if you want um, to know everything that we are doing without having to trawl through either our website or our social media. But you should also follow us on all the socials. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was really lovely to meet you both. It was so great to meet you guys, yeah. Um, Please keep us up to date with what you're doing with the collective and if we can do anything to support it or we'd love to do like collaborative events in the future or something like that like yeah that'd be sick a book club with one of our books yes that's what literally (gasps) i was telling meg right before we started this yes please (laughs) (laughs) we would absolutely love that and we know that our members would be so keen for that as well 100 percent oh my god And as always, a big thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Thing Between Chat. Please be sure to check out Comic Press because we really think that you'd like their books. And keep your eyes peeled for our upcoming collaborative book club. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter to be sure that you don't miss out on any of our upcoming events. And if there's anybody in particular that you'd want us to have on the podcast, please let us know. Until next time.